Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we've got some film art news, some more talk about the Hong Kong International Film Festival lineup, and sadly, Malaysia doesn't seem to be getting Beauty and the Beast. And for our films this week, Kevin's going to be covering Steffi in her latest Husband Killers, and The King is back with Kong Skull Island. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and sitting at his reviews desk inside the skull of a long dead kaiju is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. How's it going? How are you, sir? Fresh back from Osaka? Yes, I was at the um, the Osaka Asian Film Festival. Um, this is um, my first year going, and I went as a press, so um, I had a very nice time. I was there for four days, and I uh, interviewed um, a couple of directors. I watched 10 films, including the one that we're about to um, review today, Husband Killers, and um, it's, it's, a, it's a really lovely festival. Um, so the, the festival is pretty short. It, it's, it's long. It's about nine days, I think, um, but they only have about three or four venues and they show um 58 films um which is a pretty nice amount of film um quite a few world premieres so uh, this year um the competition section had uh five hong kong films uh a nice number of um southeast asian films including philippines and and indonesia and uh what else um malaysia i think yeah, Malaysia. So it opened with Malaysian film, actually. Mrs. K, that's the whole Yuhan film starring Kara Wai, the action film. Um, but actually, you, you'd be happy to know, or Hong Kong film fans would be happy to know that uh, six of the Hong Kong films that went, um, four of them won major awards. Um, so uh, Mad World, the, the film starring Sean Yu and uh, Eric Zhang, the drama about bipolar uh, disorder, uh, won the grand prize. Uh, 29 plus 1, based on the stage play, won uh, the Audience Award. Um, Fish Liu from Sisterhood, which we talked about last week, won um, the, uh, the award for uh, Outstanding Performance. Um, and also another Hong Kong film, um, trying to think. Um, did I already count four, Paul? Or did I count three? I think that was four. I think. Was <laughs> that four? Go through the list again, maybe. <laughs> Mad Rove. Matt World Grand Prize, 29 plus 1 Audience Award, Fish Liu for Outstanding Performance. Um, my God, I remember four... Oh, oh um, 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 oh, Soulmate. Soulmate won the ABC Award, which is for the most uh, entertainment, um, most entertaining film among the competition, at least in the eyes of the, 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 the television station that, that, that um, sponsored the film. So uh, five films in the competition, four of them won awards. Unfortunately, the only one that did not win the award is the Herman Yao's uh, 77 Heartbreaks starring Char- Charlene Choi. Um, and I thought that was a pretty decent film, actually. Uh, we can talk about that in the next episode, I think. But that was a pretty decent film, um, especially since Herman Yao is not really a romance director. Um, uh, he, he, I think he, put, he did a good job with that film. And Husband Killers, which I'm about to talk about, um, was out of competition because it was completed too late. Um, so it wasn't uh, finished in time to be included in the competition, but it's there as a special screening. Um, so all the, all except one Hong Kong film, except the Soulmate director, everyone went showed up in Osaka, and they did. Um, they each did cool, you know, Q and As, and and um, they were uh, hanging out outside the the venue, so they're very accessible. Um, it's a very intimate festival in a way, in the sense that there's no red carpet. Um, the audience, anyone who buys ticket to the films that happen to have a ceremony, can participate. I mean, um, when I watched the Herman Yao film, it was on a Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. and and it was almost full. Which is really cool for Herman Yao romance. And then when they saw um, cameos by like when they saw Anthony Wong and 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 um, Francis Ng show up, people were actually like giddy 
they were really excited. So it was really cool that I was with the right audience, you know, you know, people who like Hong Kong films and who know these actors and they know who we're looking for. Um, and they re- responded accordingly. I thought it was really fun. And also I went to one of the gatherings, the post-festival gatherings, and that was also fun in its own way. Um, it's just a, I just had a really good time, Paul. It's, just a, it's a really great festival and I hope to return next year. Yeah, that sounds like a really, um, a really nice festival, one that would be right up my alley that's devoid of sort of the pomp and circumstance and is small and more, you know, more in, in the in the vein of people who just enjoy the films and aren't really there for all, all that uh, showy glitz that seems to be associated these days with a lot of film festivals. Um, yeah, the, the, I, I'm, intrigued. Biggest... I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I would, if, you know, things work out, maybe I can try to attend one uh, next year. Yeah, the biggest sort of, I guess, flashy, quote-unquote flashy thing is I attended um, an event called Hong Kong Night, and that came with the screening of Mad World. So if you watch, if you bought a ticket to Mad World, you get to watch this 30-minute ceremony where all the Hong Kong guests come out and they all each introduce their film. And, and then that's it. I mean, they take a photo and it's essentially to celebrate. That night is to celebrate Hong Kong cinema, I guess. It's a little 30-minute sort of welcome for all the Hong Kong filmmakers. Um, and it's really cool because you get to see all of them and, and they're all together. And then the filmmakers, um, so Fire Lee, director of Husband Killers, was actually um, recommending people to watch uh, Sisterhood. And then the director, uh, Herman Yao, was telling people to watch Mad World. So you got that really cool solidarity going on. And, and they're right in front of you. They're not. It's not a big venue, ABC Hall, where I was. It's about 300 seats. It's not a big venue. So they're right in front of you. Um, yeah, and I, I had a really good time, all in all. Very cool, very cool. And as Kevin mentioned, we're going to be looking at some of the other films that came out of the festival in some of our forthcoming episodes. So be sure to check back if any of those titles sound interesting to you. All right, before we get to our reviews proper this week, we do have a little bit of news to cover this week. So let me throw the talking stick back over to Kevin at his reviews desk with this week's news. So right now we're in the middle of um, a film mark week, film mark week. Um, well, actually, it's almost the end of it already. Um, um, and 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 you know, so there's a lot of uh, big sort of news coming out of you know upcoming productions and things like that. Can I can um, I interrupt you for one second? Maybe you're going to get yeah, to sure. this, but but right off the bat, one of the news things that sort of flashed up in my feed over on Facebook was another Vegas to Macau movie. Now, blah. I mean, actually, this is what I was about to say. This is what I was about to say. Um, there is so many. There's, okay, here's the thing. Film art is for industry professionals, and we're talking about buyers. I'm not talking about film festival people. I'm talking about buyers, potential um, investors. Um, that means you're gonna go. You're gonna see some pretty. Um, um, what's the word? You're gonna see that. See some pretty um, uh, outland. Not outlandish, but pretty. You know, like, tentative stuff. It's like an auto show where they have the concept cars that you never end up seeing, right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, you know, people, they see posters for like It Man 4, but let's face it, it's not going to happen for like another two years. We're going to sell for pre-buys. Or you see something like New Vegas to Macau. You know, there's not even a cast on there yet. There's no name on there. So yeah, it's just like a flat picture of Vegas. It's a flat picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I would rather spend some time to talk about the films that are actually in production or mm-hmm. they were actually announced and they're actually being made and they actually been made and they actually had um, a footage shown in the at, at, at the mar at the market. So I'm gonna talk about a few of those. All right. Okay. Um, so first up, we have uh, the one cool the um, Louis Ku's film company, even though he would never admit that it's his, had a big um, a splashy sort of uh, um, what's the word. Um, Blowout? I don't know. No, not blowout, but exhibition or, uh, um, you know what I mean? Like a press conference. Okay, press conference. They talk about some of their new productions. And um, the ones we know already this year, we had uh, Sisterhood already. But um, they also announced uh, two, two, two projects that you're going to find very exciting, Paul. Well, at least actually one of them. So one is um, uh, Taste of Crime. That's the new, um, I guess it's, it's Nick Chern's uh, tribute to Abbas Karastami. No, okay, it's not. It's um, <laughs> it's actually a cop. It's actually a cop film. Um, it's uh, his third directorial effort, and um, there's a teaser out there with a long hair and you know mustache, 
Nick doing his cop thing, but it's a it's a cop film, it's a cop thriller, and apparently it's already shooting or it's already finished um, production, maybe in post production. I'm not sure, but I think he was shooting it. Uh, so they, they showed a teaser, and the film is coming out at the end of the year. It's called Taste of Crime. Yay! I think it's an undercover thing. Anyway, um, but it is a co-production, so don't expect too much out of it. But um, so that one looks, that one looks like it's going to be cool. This one is going you're going to be really excited. So you know how we keep joking that Louis Koo wants to make his you know Star Wars film and his sci-fi film. Oh yeah, his his future warriors. Yes, it's thing. actually happening. Yes, this film is uh, Warriors of Future. It was called Vitress before, and Benny Chan was attached, but um, he's been replaced. It's been in production for the last I think month or two. Uh, the film stars Louis Koo and uh, and uh, Lao Cheng Wan, and um, it seems like they're spending four forty five million US dollars on this thing. And there's a uh, making of video out there on the One Cool YouTube channel. You can find it. It's called One Cool Film, and um, if you can find it, um, it's the Warriors of Future making of video, and it looks huge. They're building sets, and it looks like Louis Koo and Lao Cheng Wan are in like forty pound suits, like robot suits, um, and it's being directed by. Um, I think a, uh, a, a I don't know name right now, but it's directed by a special effects artist who's making his directorial debut, um, and I think Paul, it, it's really going to knock your socks off what they're doing over there. Um, it looks pretty big, um, but you know I always sort of a bit wary when it comes to um, Hong Kong sci-fi films. So bleh, okay, whatever. Um, then we got. Um, I'm saving the best for last, so I'm going to move on to um, um, next is uh, oh Sun Entertainment. Sun Entertainment, um, backed by the uh, uh, one of the Macau tycoons, but they're also behind Bravo, so um, a company that puts out a lot of the Pong Chan films and such. Um, they announced um, two big action films, both with um, both with uh, sort of involvement of Wilson Yip. Um, one of them is called The Brink. It's the directorial debut of Jonathan Lee, I think, who co-wrote SPL2. And the film stars Mess Zhang and, uh, and Sean Yu. And it looks like a pretty intense action thriller. Uh, the film is in post-production now. Um, and it should be ready, I think, maybe by summer, perhaps, if we're lucky. I'm not sure yet. Uh, we'll see. But um, uh, the other film they announced um, is... Uh, um, Paradox. This I think we sort of mentioned this already. It's the uh, so-called SPL2 prequel, SPL2 sequel, SPL thematic third film, whatever. Okay, it's uh, stars Louis Koo and uh, Max Zhang and also Tony Jaa and it was shot in Thailand. Um, so I've definitely talked about this before, but the film is done shooting and uh, it's now in post-production. And uh, they also um, unveiled unveiled a, a pretty cool teaser trailer. If you look out there, it's out there definitely. But, um, okay, I'm saving the best for last because this is what we've all been waiting for. It's from Emperor Entertainment. It's Mao, the Louis Koo alien cat movie. Director Benny Chan, who moved on from Mao and was supposed to do Vitress and dropped out. Maybe because he's feeling a bit, I don't know, whatever state he was after finishing Mao. But Mao is a family film starring Louis Koo as a... Uh, I don't know what kind of hairdo that is, but as a family man who is visited by an alien cat, and I don't know, Paul, if you remember the the uh, Manning commercials, I'm yes, talking about that yes. cat. Yeah, it looks yes, exactly like that, that cat. cat. It is actually that cat, yes. Except now this cat is being reimagined. Imagine, a, a Manning's, Manning's advertisement reimagined, rebooted as a film. Um, the, the cat is now an alien cat who's come to invade Earth, but I guess gets a change of heart when he realizes the kindness of Louis Koo and his family. I don't know. But um, that looks like the event of the year, really. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm looking, at, I'm like, looking at the... the emperor site now and their their post art is just awesome i can't wait <laughs> yeah i think um it's a it's a cat in a in a in an astronaut suit so i think i think i think cinema as we know it is over <laughs> once we can you, see can you blame like, who, who's directing benny chan right benny chan yes. yeah can you blame him i mean it's a cat movie right everybody loves cats right <laughs> yeah 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 and if you don't Jesus. blame me people um do search out the trailer. Maybe I'll post this in the show notes too. It's on um, there. It's out there. <laughs> it's on YouTube. Okay. I, yes. I'm looking at it right now and it's a giant <laughs> cat suit. 
<laughs> if you look at my Twitter, you can also find the link, you know, and also to the link where the um the original Louis you know, Koo uh, Manning's ad is also there. Louis Koo is just yeah. doing this because he needs a paycheck to cover his uh his Hot Toys Donnie Yen Zhang Wen Star Wars action figures. That's all. <laughs> So, um, okay, so those are the big sort of announced projects. Of course, there were also posters for, like, say, It Man 4. There's also the It Man 3 spinoff movie about the Max Chang character because everyone loves Max Chang these days. Um, of course, like you said, there was also the uh, Vegas Macau movie and and things like that. But And also, um, I think Manhunt is also around. I did a few translation for a few films, um, synopsis. I'm not sure what made it to the market and what didn't, but I can tell you... Um, for example, um, A Better Tomorrow 4, the Ding Shen, um directed a fourth film in the series, which is essentially a reboot. Um, it, it counts, uh, so that's in there. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, there are blogs out there that do much more, much more um, comprehensive sort of take on it anyway, so go look at those. I'm, 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 I'm out of breath. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, wow, that's... <laughs> did, did, I'm sorry. Did, did Mao just totally like silent you? Yeah, for, no, like, I'm. I'm. I'm, 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 like, I'm. Are you like done? You're like done, right? Yeah, my brain has left the building. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just looking at the trailer, the cat. Oh, okay, I, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Oh wow! Oh, wow! Wow! Um. All right. So yeah, that's the uh, the the best of film art 2017. Excellent! 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 Um. Shall we move on to some more serious news, I guess? <laughs> Can we move on after that? No, I believe this is the end of the show as we know it. Like, we can't ever do any more news segment until the <laughs> film comes out and we've seen it. Uh, I think, like, life on Earth would never be the same again after Meow comes out. There is, from, from now on, the history of mankind will only be a B M and A-M. You know, before yes. Meow and after Meow. <laughs> Before that, it was before Switch and after Switch, and now it's before Meow and after Meow. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel a full-length commentary coming at some point in the future. <laughs> in, in, in fact, Paul, I quit the show until Meow comes out because I cannot, I no. cannot do the show with straight face. In anticipation of Meow, I am overcome by my anticipation for Meow. I cannot watch any other film. You know, it's like you're waiting for the love of your life to come along. You refuse to look at any other girl. So just like I refuse to watch any more films until Meow. So I can't do this show anymore, Paul. I'm Mm. done. Indeed, indeed. Um, What can we say, folks? It's, it's, it's It's that riveting and derailing at the same time. Uh, check it out if you don't believe me. Check it out. All right. Can we try and get through the uh, Hong Kong IFF lineup, though? Is, <laughs> is, that, is that possible? Yes, but I won't be watching anything there. No, I will. <laughs> I'm watching like 20 movies. We get it. Yeah, okay. Okay, let's do this. All right. So the Hong Kong International Film Festival <laughs> announced um, its lineup this week. Um uh, we all knew from last week that uh, Love Off the Cuff by Pan Ho Chung, which I'm sorry. I, okay, for real, I'm going to watch it. Okay, let's face it. I'm going to watch this movie. Um, it's opening the festival. Um, it opens on April 27th, but it's opening the festival on the, uh, the, 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 the 15th, I think, the 12th, whatever, April, sometime in April. Um, I'm being like terribly unprofessional right now. Okay, I'm going to look at the calendar so I know which day. Okay, the 11th, sorry. The April 11th is going to start with um, Love Off the Cuff. Which, by the way, is the longest film of the series by far at 119 minutes. Um, and I think it might be the longest Pao Chen film ever. Anyway, the closing film is uh, Mom Mom Monsters, the new film by Giddens Co. The, um, that's the uh, director of um, You're the Apple of My Eye, and also, of course, renowned author uh, in Taiwan. Um, and it's an original, actually, original concept, not based on his own novel. Uh, and it's a monster film about. Um, well, obviously, monsters in high school, so that's cool. Um, so that's one world premiere. The whole festival has a total of five world premieres, even though I mean, there's like 300 films there, so I can't really spot all of them in a the moment. But I'm just gonna try and read out what I can, um, what I can remember off the top of my hat, uh, top of my head. So the first one is um, Mama Mom Monsters. That's a world premiere. Um, the other one is I think Sleep Curse, the new Herman Yao film. It's a horror film and it reunites him. Um, 
with Anthony Wong, and uh, it's director's cut, so you know it's definitely category three. Um, a a local premiere, not a not a world premiere though. Uh, another, it's another uh, Herman Yao film. That's seventy seven heartbreaks, which I saw um, in uh, in Osaka, and um, yeah, oh, Love of the Cup is one of the world premieres. So that's three I've named already. Anyway, so that uh, seventy seven heartbreaks stars uh, Charlene Choi and uh, Pahu Chow. Um, no release date out yet, so if you're gonna see it, uh, have a chance to see it. Be sure to catch it at the festival. Um, and I assume that Charlene and Pahu will also be there. And also a, a lot of cameos in that film, so I assume that a few of those stars, including Candy Lowe, by the way, Candy Lowe, who we haven't seen, played the best friend role in a romantic film in a long time. She's back to once again play the best friend role in a romantic film. Um, so those are a couple of uh, local films. Also, so there's also a 20th anniversary um, Hong Kong handover program. So celebrating sort of these films from the last 20 years is the sort of world premiere of that program. Uh, it includes a Stanley Kwan's Hou Yu Tight, uh, the Grandmaster. Oh, and by the way, there's the the fourth cut of the film. There's the Grandmaster 3D, um, which actually HKIFF showed uh, last year. So it's being shown again this year, but as part of this 20-year program. Uh, I also have Ringo Lamp's Full Alert, uh, Bullets Over Summer, um, uh, uh, Inferno Affairs, um, and Shaolin Soccer. So so lots of really, if you're like in Hong Kong at the time and you wanted to watch some Hong Kong films on the big screen, be sure, be sure to catch it. Um, yeah, um, and of course, uh, Hong Kong Panorama has films like Mad World, which I just talked about. Also, the first, um, the premiere, the world premiere of the remastered print of Fruit Chance Made in Hong Kong. So, if you remember, that film was made on, um, like, run, run, worn down, broken, used film, film stock. Um, so, that must have been a hell of a remaster job. But um, that's showing. Um, it's going to be, I, I look greatly forward to it and i think it's gonna look great um last time i think i talked about edward yang retrospective so there's gonna be uh, all seven of Edward yang's films there and um yeah just a really great 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 program again this year uh if you have a chance um go to www.hkiff.org.hk to see what's there to 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 you can catch if you're in hong kong um once again, that's www.hkiff.org.hk. Um, ticket sale starts on well, if we come, we're putting this up next week. That means uh, it started on March 17th. So um, go and get your tickets as soon as possible uh, if you're listening to this. Um, and yeah, see you at the movies. All right. Sadly, I will not be partaking this year, as with many years. But uh, distance is definitely a factor. Um, what what do you think in terms of what you're looking forward to um, the most? No, you know my 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 my, my um, what's the word like my scope is pretty wide, so I try and catch like all kinds of films. Um, there are a couple of films I look great look forward to, and that's only because you know they've been stuff that I've been wanting to see for a while, and that includes um, Graduation, the Romanian film by Christian Munju 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 that was in Cannes. Um, there's a Korean indie film called Autumn Autumn that I missed when I was in Busan. I really want to see that. I wanted to see some of the uh, the Edward Yang films on the big screen, but because I'm only in in Hong Kong for half the festival, I'm going to be Udine for a second half of the festival. So, so I'm just trying to pack in as many newer films as I can see, or some of the films I haven't seen before. Um, so I also so I am going to try and watch a Confusion Confusion. That's the uh, that's one of the Edward Yang films. Um, I really wanted to see Red Turtle, the Studio Ghibli French co-production, but it's not. It's only playing once, and it's after I leave. I leave, so so I won't be able to see that. Um, I can say that the Grandmaster 3D cut is very interesting. If you've seen the previous cut, at least one of the previous cuts, um, it makes for a very very interesting comparison. Don't worry about the 3D. Um, you kind of vaguely hardly notice it anyway. Um, and of course, I look forward to Love Off the Cuff, um, which I will watch when it comes out. Um, um, whatever, but made in Hong Kong, the print obviously. I'm very excited to see that, and yeah, um, Mr. Long, that's the Sabu, the Japanese director Sabu, uh, his film, um, starring Chang Chang as a, a a a Japanese no a Taiwan Taiwanese killer escaping to Japan and becomes a noodle chef. That sounds like an excellent film. Again, only screening when I'm not there. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so a bit sad, but I've got about 20 films lined up for the first half of the festival so far. 
All right, excellent. We will look forward to, to your reviews of how the festival goes once we get into the thick of it. For our final bit of news this week, um, some sad news out of Malaysia. Yes, right. Um, so it looks like Malaysia won't be getting um, Beauty and the Beast um, because uh, they wanted what's the what's the um, what's the what's the lyric. Um, change just a little small or a small just a little change something like that um apparently malaysia the malaysian censors wanted a little change small to say the least um a a change of uh they want to trim apparently the film has a a, a, a little gay moment just i'm calling director that one of the characters i think the what the villains of the film has a what he what what the director calls a gay moment um so the malaysian censors um wanted uh uh, a change they wanted it to be snipped um in order to get a pg-13 rating essentially the equivalent of pg-13 rating in malaysia um but disney has refused to budge and now um they're gonna pull the film from uh from from malaysia so malaysians won't be able to um uh, uh watch uh, beauty and the beast unfortunately in their cinemas um usually i feel a bit conflicted about this because usually we're supposed to be like like you know sticking it when we say sticking it to the man we usually like say it like it's hollywood because hollywood is so big but now when hollywood is sticking it to the man how should i feel about it yeah that's a that's an interesting sort of uh, kind of a reverse reversal of positions of sorts because i remember back when the animated film aladdin was released um in the i think it's in the first song um Arabian Nights there's a, there was a lyric that was offensive to um you know people of middle eastern descent um something about cutting off an ear and if you got the original track the, the original soundtrack when it was released you have that lyric but then later because of some you know the some uh, resistance to that and some i guess some outcry there was Disney made the move to actually change it. So I think it's changed now on the um, the video home video releases and on current issues of the soundtrack. And so, yeah, it's interesting that uh, at one time Disney was a bit more flexible in terms of feeling the pressure from large groups or populations and, and wanting to change things. And in this case, they're kind of, you know, taking a stand um, and saying, nope, uh, no Beauty and the Beast for you. So, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, Malaysians, if they want to see this, they'll find a way to see it, um, sooner rather than later though. Right. Oh, please. We all know Malaysians would go on. Yeah. I do see it somehow. Come on. <laughs> it's Asia. You know, everyone knows how to find a, anyway. Yes, indeed. Um, and it, you know, it's also interesting in, in light of our discussion last on the last episode about some of the massive cuts that, uh, got levied at Logan as a film um which really sort of as your friend described it basically chopped up the narrative right um yeah so in some cases you know uh, big cuts can be levied but small tiny ones cannot so we'll check back and see uh how, how this goes forward because sometimes these things you know they they get levied up front and then they kind of get pulled later on isn't that the case Again, as, as the song goes, it was only just just a little change, small to say the least. <laughs> All right. We'll take a short musical break, and we'll be back with our first review for this week, Kevin's take on Husband Killers. And welcome back. So for our review this week, again, Kevin reporting back from one of the films he saw at the Osaka Festival. This week, it's Husband Killers, with uh, coming from director Fire Lee, who some of you may be familiar with uh, his work, and of course, the ever-effervescent Steffi. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, actually, I picked this because I know you would love it, Paul. That's why I picked this one first. Thank Otherwise, you, I would have done the Charlene, uh, Charlene Choi film first. But anyway, uh, this is a very, very early review, guys, by the way. This is a very early review. I think this might be one of the first um, English language reviews of the film out here because the film just had its world premiere last Friday. Last Friday? Yeah, last Friday. Um, and it was just finished. And there's no release date here yet. Um, and it's not playing HKIFF, so we have no idea when it's coming out. So this is a very, very early review. Um, Husband Killer is the latest film by uh, Fire Lee, who you may remember as a director of Robbery last year, which I actually do like. Um, I did like it. And uh, also, um, before that, what was the one? Uh, Love in Time. There's a Steffi uh, Bosco one, right? That's, yeah, is that what it's called, Love with, in Time? With, with the worst ending ever. <laughs> Yes, which I like until the ending. Actually, if I had a chance to meet Fire Lee, I would have told him, like, dude, I really, actually, I really did like Love in Time until the last five seconds. And he would, like, beat me up or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So this is um, his latest film, and it seems like, as he said in the Q&A, he, he tried the whole commercial thing for a while, but now he realizes that, that um, he sort of has, he seems to be more popular um, doing the sort of, uh, exploitation stuff, category free exploitation stuff. So he's sort of gone back to that that well uh, for his new film. Um, Husband Killer stars Chrissy Chow and 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 um, and Steffi Tang and Gailey Locke, who you may remember as former Mrs. Leon Lai, um, and uh, and a weird and also a, a, a alien soon or soon now here um, credited as Soon Ja Jun um, as a sort of sick hotel owner. Um, um, who has a big sort of pivotal role sort of later in the plot. But anyway, the story. Chanel and Dior, Chanel played by Steffi Tang and Dior played by Chrissy Chow are both professional killers. When they find out that they've been together with the same guy, David, for the last 10 years, they set out to take each other out of the picture. However, their alliance shifts when they discover that David has also been seeing policewoman Hermes playing uh, Hermes, Hermes, played by Gailey Locke. And now a death match is about to unfold. So it's, I mean, yeah. When I first saw the trailer, I thought they they couldn't have gone that far. Like, it must have been some sort of like uh, a fantasy thing where actually Steffi is just some like a nice office lady, and then she fantasized being a killer, and, and this happens, blah blah. No, no. It starts out with Steffi beheading someone with a nail filer. It's Wait. that type of movie. It's that type of movie. Um. She is really a professional killer, and so is Chrissy. Chrissy also has her first scene killing, shooting someone in the head. So it's definitely that kind of film. I think that Farley is doing um, a very gratuitous exploitation film, um, sort of a C-grade uh, exploitation film, and it's sort of intentionally bad, I guess. And um, so it does, but I, I don't think that it goes as far as um, Robbery, because Robbery was pretty gratuitous i think but this one is a bit he, he he scales it back a little bit because um he wants to make a sort of feminist action film um and but but it is similar the the plot uh, structure is a bit similar to the last film most of the film here is set in a hotel it's essentially the the the, the sort of um uh, a, a standoff between uh, chanel dior and, and Hermes. Hermes. um they're trying to take each other out actually uh, and and the way that their sort of interactions and uh, when they move across a hotel and things like that, and they're using Longwa Hotel, which is a very famous um, old style hotel in in Sha Tin. Paul, you must know Longwa Hotel. It's it's always um it's near your neighborhood, right? Your old neighborhood, yep. famous for for their pigeon. Uh, but of course, anyone who knows about that spot knows that it's no longer a hotel, which I guess makes them. Uh, I guess they were comfortable with turning it back into a hotel and having a big shootout and explosion and and really um, perverted like perverted people working in there. Um, that's kind of cool. Um, so if you're expecting to see a sort of gratuitous um, uh, exploitation film, you're kind of gonna get it. Because um, you are going to see a very different Steffi here. Steffi is in leather and she's shooting people and she's screaming at Chrissy the whole time and she's playing this real B-word. Um, and she even swears at one point. She says one, like, and, and the rest of the time sort of near swearing. And and she's, you know, like I said, beheading people and killing people. And it does get kind of bloody around. Uh, and, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. Watching the actress, if you know the actresses, so you know Chrissy, if you know Steffi, and forget Gailey Locke because she can't act. So and no one really knows who she is anyway. Um, if you like two actresses and you really want to see them in something different, this is you're gonna love this movie. I think 
um, it's it, it's a pretty much a showcase for these girls, and they really take charge. And it's a film that is intentionally warning men to not uh, not be um, to not be disloyal, to not cheat on a girl. Otherwise, this is gonna what happened to you kind of thing. Um, for the you know, it's that kind of film. It's a very very fun film, um, and I had a lot of fun watching it. But now. If you're not, if you don't know anything about these actors, and a lot of the audiences in Osaka doesn't, they don't know. I had to explain to one or two people when I, after the screening, I said this is like watching a a, uh, a idol, a pretty healthy, lovable idol doing a um, uh, a big sort of uh, exploitation action film, which is why it's a big deal for us Hong Kong audiences, but might not be such a big deal for those outside of Hong Kong who don't know these people. And if you don't know these people, then you're just judging the film on the merits of the plot, and to be honest, it's it's a bit undercooked. Um, robbery, you had you had like like you had like six characters interacting with each other, and each sort of have their own motives, and and you've got that thing going. Um, so that script worked as a as a as a, as a sort of a stagey kind of thing, but here you've only got these three characters. And they don't really have much background. They don't really have much personality. Um, the biggest, I guess, the only thing that sets one character apart, and that's Hermes, is that she she's uh, she's she, she has a Western background, so she shifts into English, and that's her biggest like biggest standout um, point, I guess. Because all three of them are pretty ruthless killers, and there's not much other than that to sort of distinguish their personalities. Um, so it's a pretty undercooked plot, and and. I guess um, it gets a bit tiring after a while because the uh, the whole hotel thing. I didn't expect the whole hotel thing to go on for the entire film, um, not the entire film, but you know most of the film, about eighty percent of the film. Um, so by about an hour in, when you still know that you got half an hour to go, and they're still at the hotel, they're still fighting out the hotel, and you're wondering how they're going to keep doing this. It, it sort of wears out the it's welcome a little bit. You kind of wish there would be more to the plot, to more to the story, and right now. Um, it's really more like a. Uh, it really could have run a nice eighty minutes, I think, uh, eighty-five minutes. But the film is now stretched out to ninety-seven minutes. Um, um, <clears throat> but it's cool what sort of Firely does with that single setting, and it's impressive that he shot the entire film in seventeen days, especially since there's action and there's gunplay and explosions and things like that, um, and makeup. Um, I'm 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 impressed that he shot it in that short amount of time. But um, I feel like. Okay, if he was making a real sort of C movie, um, then that makes it sort of review proof. So it's not even worth talking about the flaws of the film. But if he's trying to make something like like a really clever movie, a lot of smarts, then then I have to say it's a bit undercooked. But um, otherwise, I actually had a lot of fun with it. Um, the Japanese audience were 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 uh, really kind of digging it as well. There's a real um, '80s vibe to it. You know, the credits also done in that silvery metal font. You know what I mean, like the shiny metal font that you know that used to be in film logos in the '80s. Um, and, and I think I think people who watch that and the poster also. The poster is also done in the '70s Japanese film sort of style, so it has a very retro sort of throwback style, and it's a lot of fun. Um, so to watch it as a C film, C movie, as a crap, intentionally crappy film, it's not bad. It's a lot of fun. But if you're trying to watch it as sort of a quality film, which I don't think it's supposed to be anyway, uh, it actually has a lot of flaws. And I think Firely needs to learn how to take a story outside of the stage. It's essentially a stage. I know it's essentially a stage play because he's from the stage play world. And this, he's, he's done in a really much in a stage movie. Um, so, so he needs to take the story out of stage. And... Uh, other than that, um, I, I I think that um, the sort of genre genre people who listen to the show and and who want to see that sort of um, no host bar sort of genre film, well, it's not exactly a great dose of it, but it's about the closest thing you're gonna get from Hong Kong these days. Um, so so I do recommend Husband Killers for the audiences of this podcast who do listen to watch Hong Kong films and and love Hong Kong films and know these stars. I highly recommend to them. Everyone else. It's a bit flawed. All right, very good. You know, the trailer, as I looked at it, had a little bit of a sort of Mr. and Mrs. Smith vibe going on to it. Um, and based on your description, though, as sort of a, you know, filmic version of a stage play, that that's the that's what the feeling I got when I watched Robbery, right? It's sort of very much a contained thing that you could kind of see working equally well 
uh, on stage or on the screen. Um, but I mean, how do the girls themselves handle the action part of it? I mean, does it come off as as fairly credible or is it just like, you know, like you're kind of alluding to its exploitation. So it's just sort of girls with guns. And the most recent thing I can think of is sort of, you know, like special female force, right? Where, yeah, they're getting these actresses, but they don't really handle the action all that well because they're not really trained in that form, right? Right. Well, the girls are definitely in good shape. I can tell you that because you can tell them all the, the tight leather stuff that they wear throughout the film. Um, there's even one shot, a close-up of uh, Steph, uh, not Steffi, sorry. It would have been great for Steffi, but unfortunately it was Chris, well, not unfortunately, sorry. Um, okay, yeah, it, it was, it's actually Chrissy, uh, a big close-up of her chest, and she pushes up her, her breasts. So it's like, it's that type of film. So there, you can tell they're in great shape. But um, 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 action-wise, the action design's a bit lacking, actually. Hmm. There's not a lot of elaborate action sequence. Like I said, the film was shot in a very short time. It's shot in 17 days. So there doesn't seem to be much space for a lot of elaborate action sequences. Um, you get some gunplay. Um, you get some running slow motion kind of thing. It's definitely not a film you want to watch if you're trying to watch from something like that's action-packed or something that's like with great wire food or choreography, things like that. It's not that type of film. It's, it's more like a... Um, because it's about it's about facing it's a psychological thing where the girls it's about the dynamic between the girls um and it's about sort of the fun the vibe of it it's about pushing that retro uh nostalgic vibe rather than sort of displaying anything original uh in in all sort of aspects so it's 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 there's not going to be a great action sequences um there's not going to be you know great uh makeup whatever it it's a low grade um low grade exploitation film and not with not enough nudity but there's just not really much sex so what i was saying about how you only gonna kind of get what you want to see I, I think that this film um is sort of borderline between category 2b and uh and and category 3 i think some of the violence is a bit rough um it's a bit bloody but I don't know if it's bloody enough that it will earn a category three. I think it's borderline. At the most, it, they're only gonna want want uh, Fire Lead to cut maybe ten seconds, sort of do a Deadpool, which Deadpool was only category three because of about 20, 40 se- 20 to forty seconds of footage, and I kind of see that happening as it was well here. Um, the company may not mind category three just to have a talking point, but I think it doesn't go far enough to earn that 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 category three. For our next film, we are looking at the return of the king, that is Kong in Kong Skull Island. This is a film coming from director Jordan Voigt Roberts, a fairly new film director, and I was a bit surprised as they would give an intellectual property like this to um, someone quite so new. Um, of course, that's, that's not, you know, it's not like that kind of thing. It hasn't been done before. But uh, as a new director, I think that uh, some of that newness rubs off on the film. And I'll talk a little, little bit about that uh, going forward. So the story is thus. Um, humans show up on Skull Island and they annoy the crap out of King Kong, right? Um, and he gets angry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more complex than this. But this is a prequel of sorts and a sequel of sorts um, and if that's a bit confusing it's because of the time period in which this takes place in relation to the recent Godzilla f- film from a few years ago which I really liked um, so this is taking place during the Vietnam era and basically what is happening is that there is an expedition that is being led by uh, John Goodman's character who is the head of a group called Monarch it is a sort of semi-secret government organization that is investigating uh, what they call mutos, these giant unidentified uh, terrestrial organisms, or massive unidentified um, terrestrial organisms. Um, and this kind of sets the relation between um, the Godzilla film, which was modern day, it was set, set in the present, and this film, which is set, again, during um, the Vietnam era. Um, so basically he is... They've discovered through satellite imagery this secret island called Skull Island that is somehow 
Uh, I'm not sure how this is um, this is scientifically possible, but somehow it is uh, always surrounded by uh, a set of storms, right? A, a perpetual storm, hurricane-like storm that surrounds this island with, of course, the island itself set in the eye um, and, you know, not affected by the storms outside. So it's very difficult to get to. Um, and for this task, they hire a, um, a British Secret Service captain uh, named James Conrad, who is played by Loki, um, you know, th that guy who some people said would be a very good James Bond, you know, Tom Hiddleston. Um, he's doing his best sort of Bear Grylls here as the the Special Forces tracker survivor guy. Um, and he's to lead an expedition to this island. And the expedition includes a uh, flight of um, chopper pilots led by Samuel L. Jackson. And he's the sort of grizzled military vet who's um, looking to be, you know, sort of... Uh, retired basically and he doesn't want to be retired he thrives in wartime and now that the war is coming to an end he's not sure what use there will be for him so he's ready for one last shot at glory and yeah so this film is kind of full of so many tropes and crammed into um you know uh, a fairly short film overall and it's it's just like a trope after a trope after a trope if you're familiar with, you know, a, a lot of things. So, again, Tom Hiddleston here is your survival tracker guy. Um, you've got your almost purely generic Vietnam soldier group from any, almost any Vietnam movie you've ever seen. Um, you know, and it's one of those one of these films where, where people start dying, um, and bodies start flying, helicopters getting smashed, and you're like, wait, who was on that one, and which guy was that? And, and um, because you're never really sure if it was a character with dialogue that you saw early on that got smashed and stepped on by, by uh, King Kong, or if it was somebody else, because they tend to throw these guys together, and then suddenly there are a lot more um, sort of extras around them because they need a lot of on-screen fodder. Um, and ba so basically, you know, they go to the island and they, they're doing a survey expedition, which requires them to drop bombs because, of course, that's how you survey. And that kind of, <laughs> that, that angers King Kong. And, uh, you know, he comes out and he swats them down like flies. So this sets up a relation between Kong and sort of Sam Jackson's character, which is very much, it, it's, it's a pure Moby Dick, um, you know, Captain Ahab kind of vibe. Um, that was a little bit too much for me. Uh, it kind of pushed my suspension of disbelief. I mean, that's funny to say in a movie about giant monsters, but I was like, I think that, you know, there are more serious things to think about rather than just uh, a simple revenge kind of um, motivation. So you've got that going on. You also have uh, the John C. Riley character um, as this World War II vet who got stranded on the island um, he's a former pilot, and he gets shot down fi after fighting another Japanese pilot, and they get stuck on this island. How they, you know, flew in through the storms, they, they never really address that. Um, but this sort of sets up a, a little bit of a hell in the Pacific kind of backstory. So if you're familiar with the Lee Marvin, Toshiro Mifune story, you know, the two guys at odds, stranded on the island, and, oh, they bond. But in this case, they bond because there's giant monsters on the island, right? Um that's a very small backstory that they sort of touch into. But really, the only character I ended up liking in this story was the John C. Riley character, um, in part because of his charisma. John Goodman's fine, but um, he's just kind of there as a plot device to get people on the island and, and to let the carnage sort of in and start you know, to ensue. If you've seen the trailer for this movie, you've pretty much seen the movie. Um, there's one sequence that comes to mind, which... They did not show in the trailer, which is cool. It's kind of a classic callback to big monster movies. And, um, you know, that that was good, but it needed more surprises. I felt they showed way too much in the trailer um, for this film. And the other thing is surprising, too, that a couple places, some of the CGI shots um, were not well handled. And this usually involved actors on green screens where it just... It blatantly looks like they're in a green screen set. It doesn't look natural at all compared with some of the other shots. I know they did a lot of filming in Hawaii on location, um, and it just doesn't gel well. 
But for the most part, the monsters, Kong himself as a character, I think they all looked well. They were handled well. But, you know, this is a this is the East Green West Green podcast, and we tend to want to focus on things that relate back to Hong Kong and Asia and China, right? So can we talk about Jing Tian for just a moment, really? <laughs> I mean, I know we touched on her before because she was she had this big role in the Great Wall. Um, but if she's the new girl that they're going to roll out, you know, this is a, this had a massive 10 cent, you know, production logo at the start of the movie. If she's the new girl, they're going to roll out, um, and, and be associated with these co-productions, if, if you want to call it that, then fine. But can we get her a better language coach? And it's not that I'm saying her English is bad or her acting is bad. It's just that in this film, they're either dubbing her or they're cutting away anytime she has dialogue. So you don't notice that the sync up is, you know, somehow problematic. I mean, again, we harp on this all the time. I know this is a personal pet peeve of mine when it comes to, to dubbing and things. Just let her act, you know, let her act, let her use her natural voice it would be appropriate for the time, you know, the character she's playing is supposed to be like this biologist that's, you know, a part of the monarch team, you know, and, and but she, they only give her like four or five lines anyway. She's, she's you know, kind of not even there as eye candy. Um, it would have made more sense to me to just let her take over Brie Larson's role, but I know that that's not something that's conducive to Hollywood these days. But, you know, give her some more lines. Let her justify her existence a little bit more in the film other than simply saying, okay, here's your token China actress because we've got this co-production going on. Um, and we're going to be, we're supposedly seeing more of her. She's set to be in the uh, Pacific Rim sequel that's coming as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know. Every make... film that's in, invested by Legendary. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I don't want to say, uh, I don't want to suggest anything, but there might be a reason why. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Uh, and, and but I mean, uh, at least give her, you know, justify her existence a little bit more. That's all I'm saying. Um, I, I don't want to give away too many spoilers. Kevin hasn't seen the film yet, and, and some of you listening may not have seen it yet. The video footage, though, they do run some video footage at the end of the credits, and they do it in sort of a handheld 8mm film camera style, indicative of the era, you know, late 60s, early 70s, which is fine, okay? But when you're trying to go for that sort of documentary style look, don't actually edit it like it's a film, right? With like multiple camera placement where you you can't see the cameraman and, and, and that kind of thing. It, it just doesn't feel like it makes sense technically. Um, there is a post credit scene, which you will, you know, want to stay for if you're a fan, unless, you know, the movie made you angry and want your money back. Um, it's a fairly extensive post credit scene that points to a great many things. Uh, some of those we already know about, such as the next film, which is coming in 2020, I believe, and possibly other films as they expand this, um, monster cinematic universe, as some are calling it. Um, I'm not sure how or if we are going to get to all of that that they highlight in the post credit scene. But for me, it'll be very, very cool if we do. So um, be sure you stay for that. Um, it, it is kind of a weird scene because the characters that do show up there um, are wearing kind of exactly the same clothing that they're wearing at other points in the movie. It's like they don't have a clothing change, which just seems very, very weird for the moment. Um, you know, you'd think after everything that they've been through, they'd want to shower. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, there's blood and sweat and marsh and monster guts and all kinds of stuff going on throughout the movie. Um, so overall, look, I'm a bit biased about these kaiju movies, uh, and, and I admit that. Um, and there are things about this that that aren't aren't great. So, you know, it's it's again, it, it I think it shows in part the, you know, the, the young aspect of the director um, and it has some technical problems, but overall, I liked it because I like a King Kong movie that's not a King Kong movie, right? This is a Kong movie um, that's being, you know, set up to expand the Godzilla universe. So it's not the normal sort of King Kong story, climbing the Empire State Building, that whole thing. So even though it's made up of a lot of tropes 
sort of that seem are seemingly pulled from other movies, it's still fairly fresh um, as an experience. You know, this isn't going to be Peter a retake on Peter Jackson's um, Kong, for example. Um, there, there are still elements there. There are moments that are there, um, to be sure. But it's, it, I think it sets up the character well enough to fit well within this overall expanded monster universe that they're going for. That hopefully this film does well enough to continue striving for. Because I'd at like to, at the very least, see the next stage of this, even if they don't expand it out to other things, as the, as the um, post credit scene sort of points to um so yeah it's um it, it, it is what it is a sort of summer big monkey action movie right well not a monkey and ape okay we're being technical uh and i liked it <laughs> it's, it's it's not perfect but uh if you're looking forward to more happening in this universe i think you'll get your money's worth especially you know at a matinee um not you know it, it does it's it, it's not worthy of imax or anything along those lines so um, you know, you can let your pocketbook book decide the kind of experience you want to see. Kevin, any plans on catching Kong? Yeah, no, I was just so um, uh, busy with um, um, Osaka and coming back and catching up on work that I just didn't have time to watch it. But I think it's one of the first things I'll watch when I go back to the States, actually. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit kongcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jubover, Snows Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of support from listeners like you. Listeners like Jenny, who wrote to us uh, with a question, and she asked about the idea of China's Great Firewall, and has that ever been addressed in a sort of East Screen film uh, or a West Screen film, um, and were there any that we could think of? Now, I started tooling back my memory, and I was corresponding with Kevin while he was over in Osaka, and the only two that came to my mind in terms of China films, um, there's an older film called Love in Cyberspace, which really, I mean, it doesn't really get into that because it's just about kind of internet dating back in like the turn of the millennium, like before we had Facebook and stuff. Um, but it does a little, you know, deal a little bit with people coming to terms with computers and computer technology in, you know, in, in China. The other one that um, Kevin has talked about before here on the show uh, is Caught Up in the Web, right? By That's by Chen Kai-Go, right, Kevin? Chen Kai-Go, yeah. yeah. Chen Kai-Go. Um, and I, I don't really think that that actually either, you know, it didn't address the Great Firewall directly either. But again, it's no. kind of about Internet activity within China. It's all internal. And some of the problems there. And it, the issue here is that as a sort of state-sponsored thing, it's kind of there but it's not something they want creators to focus on so i think internally you probably wouldn't get the go-ahead as a creator um to talk directly about it as this kind of big thing trying to bypass it with vpns and, and things like that even though that goes on it's not considered like proper behavior um so no it's it's illegal yeah. it's actually illegal to bypass the great firewall it's illegal to have a vpn in china and, uh, and the thing it, is it, it, it's yeah there, so there, it's illegal that, to uh there's actually so you case, would never uh, there's actually a sorry. case where somebody in the government some like official of internet services or something was he actually had to use a vpn at one point during like a conference to highlight something on a site you know so it's like people do this all the time and the levels of enforcement fluctuate you know sometimes they really clamp down and, and i'll hear stories from people i know on the inside saying oh their vpns stopped working because you know they they did a new kind of uh, a code to sort of you know tamp down on the P vpns people are using um and then other times it seems to get a little bit lenient so well, I should correct myself. Actually, it's not that all VPN are not allowed. It's that the VPN uh, company has to register with China or something like that. But, you know, technically it's impossible because all VPN 
you know, no yeah. VPN company will be able to operate in China. So, right. so, so actually, Chinese government. So, for example, CCTV has a has a has a Twitter account. Um, and let's assume that they are using a legal, quote unquote, legal VPN that is actually operating in China and is actually legal by, is deemed legal by the government to operate. Um, so it's not totally illegal, but um, it's pretty much taboo to even talk about official, to talk about the, 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 the firewall because then you're talking about censorship and you do not talk about censorship in china at least in a public way at least dealing it with a in a in a in a sort of film environment or something like a film you don't deal with any of that stuff so no um it it's it's not that uh people don't don't talk about a firewall is that any mention of it would be would be probably deleted by the censors yeah yeah the only other film i think that comes to my mind uh, sort of on the <laughs> west side of things would be um the tongway film black hat right where they do, I think they mention it in passing because they come to Hong Kong to do some stuff, and uh, the reason they're in Hong Kong and not China is because of, of of that, basically. So you still have some some internet freedom uh, that exists in in the Hong Kong uh, ISP services and whatnot. Um, anything else that comes to your mind, Kevin? No, just because I know for sure that that is such a, such a taboo. So you never see the Great Firewall ever mentioned, essentially, in Chinese cinema. Um, in fact, you know, um, um, yeah, like VPN, the word VPN would never show up in a film or TV show. Um, or, or even the, the Chinese phrase word, which is uh, fang chang, which is like to, to, to climb over the wall. You never hear that because again, it's illegal and 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 you don't want to even you know, plant the idea. It's like Inception, right? You don't want to plant the idea in people's heads. So, sense would never let you talk about it. So and there you go. One of the th- one of the strategies that the government has used very successfully is to basically clone or mimic any kind of service that the population would want. So, for every massively popular service you have on the outside here, your Facebooks, your YouTubes your Googles, um, your Ebays, they have created a similar service in China that um, in some cases is more popular in terms of overall usage and because it caters to Chinese input and things like this. Um, you know, they, they've gone to great lengths to make sure that there's really nothing that people should be wanting to find out. I mean, we're not, I'm not talking about content-wise, but in terms of a, a platform that you want to use to communicate, to shop, to find entertainment, these kinds of things, um, they really have gone to great lengths to create um, really strong and popular platforms for the population to use. So um, that, in some ways, also kind of downplays the need for people to want to even take the risk to use a VPN. Most of the people that I talk to who use VPNs are... Um, foreigners who are trying to access the outside because um, they want news, they want information, they need to get access to things on the outside because they don't have the Chinese input skills, those kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, they, 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 there's also the issue of the, the platforms themselves being so abundant and, and so well-versed in China, I think. All right, if you would like to contribute to that discussion, if you have some thoughts or there's a film that you can think of that we didn't mention um, that you think might be helpful for for Jenny, you know, uh, write us in on email, as she did, and let us know, and we'll talk about it here in our next episode. And if you would like to be part of the show in some other way, shape, or form, you can also get in touch with us via our website at concast.com or by Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can find us over on Facebook at East S West S. And, yeah, we're not on any of the behind the Great Firewall platforms as yet. <laughs> uh, no no Weibo, no Baidu page or anything like that. Uh, maybe one day, but not for now. Uh, but I do urge you to follow along with Kevin and everything that he's doing, especially as he's uh, jetting and setting between here, Japan, and the United States, and wherever else he's going. Uh, so, sir, where can they find out more about you? You can read the uh, Discovery magazine uh, on Cathay Pacific Airways flights. You can also read some of my stuff on uh, 
Dragon Cathay Dragon uh, Sick Row Magazine. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at the uh, I'm at the Golden Rock. That's one word at the Golden Rock. You can email me at the Golden Rock at gmail.com. That's again the Golden Rock at gmail.com. Um, and uh, that little professional announcement I promise next week. I think I definitely will have uh, more to talk about next week or or in our next show. So um, uh, stay tuned. Yeah, excellent. Any any progress on the um, the Discovery magazine going to a website or anything like that, or is that still on hold? It's in the works. It's mm-hmm. in the works. So um, uh, it's definitely coming. I can tell you that for sure because I I've I've touched some stuff on there, um, and it's still in developers in development. Uh, but I can tell you that that is definitely happening. Excellent. Um, I just don't know the the time frame when it's going to go live, but as far as I know, um, uh, it's definitely coming. All right. Good. We'll keep you all posted for that and uh, other announcements from Kevin in uh, the shows to come. Uh, We are going to be taking a short spring break, as it were, uh, for the following week as Kevin jets back off to the United States. And I will also be traveling to visit relatives. Uh, We have a week off from my daughter's. Uh, school for spring break which seems it seems a little bit early to me because i always associate spring break more in line with easter but no her school's off for the next week and so we take this time to go out and see grandparents and various other uh, relatives so we'll be taking a brief hiatus uh, and be back in two weeks with our next episode 221 which uh, kevin you said you're going to be looking at the herman yao film at that time right yeah, I think I'll talk about 77 Heartbreaks unless um, I see some other Hong Kong things. But I don't even have time to watch Vampire Cleanup Department, so it's probably going to be uh, a 77 Heartbreaks next week. All right. And uh, for West Green, I'm not sure yet, uh, depending on what I can get out to see. We've got Beauty on the Beast, uh, the new science fiction film Life, uh, or possibly Power Rangers. Not sure if I want to commit myself to that but it'll be something along those lines so all of that and much more on our next show until then this is the east screen west screen podcast saying kong is not the only king and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody